Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. I know somebody had asked me, if you can have anything in life, what would you want? And out of my mouth, I didn't say a college degree. I said... I want a home. I want genuine love. I want intangible things. This is Death, Sex, and Money. And I'm going to need a million dollars to afford college. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. When she kissed me, it was just like she used to kiss me. And need to talk about more. Damn! Oh, you had me scared to death. I'm Anna Sale. This past May, while I was still out on maternity leave, an email in my inbox caught my eye. It was from Rashima Melson. And it was like the most excited I've been. (laughs) It was like the best email (laughs) to receive. Like several things about it made me excited. First of all, that you were letting us know that you were graduating in a week and you wanted Mm -hmm. us to know. Rashima first talked with me when she was a college sophomore at Georgetown. When she was adjusting to life on campus after living in a D.C. homeless shelter in high school. After that, she dropped out and got married. I talked to Rashima again after she'd decided to end that marriage and give Georgetown another try. Now she was writing to say that she'd been thinking about our two conversations in the days leading up to her graduation. I had a lot on my mind. And I was asking myself, who was the girl that that was then... And just listening to everything that I had said and just how adamant I seemed and how I was really standing up for myself and I wasn't letting a man take over my world and I was going back to the mission that I had set out for to. So it was like, wow, I can't believe that, that I did that. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting how you described our previous conversations as, as capturing you at my weakest yet bravest moments. Mm-hmm. And that, like, listening back to those conversations had helped you? Yeah. Um, If it wasn't for, you know, us doing that interview, I wouldn't have captured myself in that moment, like if you had a time capsule. Later, I'll talk with Rashima more about what she's up to now, after graduation. But first, I want to crack open those time capsules that Rashima recently listened back to starting with our conversation four years ago. She was struggling then with being vaulted into an elite environment separate from her family. And she was feeling a lot of pressure after becoming a national news story right as she was finishing high school. It's graduation day for Rashima Melson. Rashima Melson. Melson. A homeless 18-year-old. Melson lives with her family at the D.C. General Homeless Shelter. Homeless Homeless shelter. shelter, along with her mother and two brothers. Rashima Melson graduated from Anacostia High School tonight as valedictorian. And with the turn of a tassel, this young lady goes from homeless to Hoya. When we talked during her sophomore year, Rashima told me all that attention made her feel like a campus celebrity. And me, I'm just kind of used to people walking up to me, hey, can I get a picture? So, I'm, you know. Really? Yeah. What do they say? 
They'll ask me, you know, it's always this list they have. It's like, oh my God, are you Rashima? I'm like, yes. You graduated from Anacostia? Yes. You were valedictorian? Yes. You were in a homeless shelter? Yes. Oh my God. And I'm just like, it's annoying sometimes because it's like, I wish you people would just stop calling me that. Like, that's I'm not the homeless valedictorian. Like, I'm Rashima Melson. Rashima grew up in the Anacostia neighborhood in D.C., Her father was shot and killed when she was young, and her mother relied on public assistance to support her and her brothers. After they lost their housing when Rashima was a teenager, they lived in a D.C. shelter. I'm so close. Like, I'm on bus ride away from home. Or, you know, whatever I call that place. Yeah. What has being a student at Georgetown taught you about money? Money? Mm. Gotta get more of it. I mean... (laughs) That's that's the best thing that I could possibly think about. What do you spend money on during the semester? I spend money on my family, which is the truth. My younger brother, he's 15. He's the only one that's left in the household. Um, And so my mom gets like a certain amount of food stamps. Um, So if her food stamps run out, you know, you know, she'll ask me, you know, hey, can you help me out? Um, It's never like a give me thing or, you know, you have to do this. I'm always like, you know, hey, do you need anything? And a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, that's not your responsibility. You need to worry about yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I get that. But me and my family, I've I've grew up sharing meals with people, sharing one meal with like three people. That's always the way my family or me and my friends are going to be. We're always going to help each other out. But when it came to achieving and excelling at school, that was something Rashima told me she felt like she had to do on her own. I remember um, my first cross-country meeting in high school. I-, I passed out once I got to, like, the finish line. And I'm looking up, and those people are staring at me. I'm like, what place did I come in? Like, I don't care, like, how I'm feeling. They're like, seventh, you did so good. I'm like, I did horrible. And, like, I just, like, started crying. And I was like, don't touch me. I need to become number one. We need to run again. And I was like so full of emotion and I kept saying I'm not going to get into college from not number one I need to be number one I need to be number one and everybody's looking at me like oh my god what's wrong with that girl and then my coach kind of was like come on let's take you to the bathroom it's like I don't care you know you don't understand what I'm going through and I was like I'm homeless and I live in the shelter and I need money you know what I'm saying and my parents can't and I was like my mom can't afford college and I was like I need this I need a scholarship or I need my grades and I've really had a burst of emotion that I feel like I've never had in my life and When I even think about it now, I feel that emotion. I'm just like, yeah, I can't feel. I mean, like, what would I do? And do I want to believe that I didn't work hard enough or there's something more that I could have done? I just, I just, yeah, no, I can't feel. So. So you just, you just looked at your phone. Mm -hmm. What, what was on your phone? Somebody sent me a donation. Um, They said just a little something from the holidays to spend with your family. Keep us posted on your progress, especially if you need help. Help comes in many ways. Is that Um, from a stranger? From a stranger. I don't know who this person is. Rashima started a GoFundMe page after all the news coverage of her story. And she got a lot of financial and emotional support from well-wishers across the country. But on campus at Georgetown, those first two years, Rashima spent a lot of time alone. I really don't get out much. I I just study. I work. And that's about it. I can remember when I started college, just just the the experience of all of a sudden sharing a dorm and a social life with people from 
all over the country and who had all sorts of different family arrangements growing up and all sorts of different income levels that they were used to. Like, what do you remember about the first weeks and figuring out who the people were that were surrounding you? That's what I didn't do. I didn't, like, my goal here and my job here is to just get my education and just to keep it moving. It's not a bad thing. It's not that I don't, you know, like people or anything like that. It's just my motives are different. And I think when people come to college, you know, I hear all about, yeah, that's social life. We're going to go to parties. Yeah, it's a lot of parties here. And on Friday night, I'm like in my bed. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting some sleep because the week was just so tiring. And I kind of had a little breakdown this semester because... You know, I want to get out and I want to have fun and I want to be able to, on a Saturday, not just focus on work, but I'm kind of stuck. I'm kind of in a situation with like, you know, you're not going back home to a family who financially supports you or, you know, you're not going back to this place where it's like, you don't have to worry if you don't get a job, your dad's going to, you know, talk to a friend and get you a job. It, it's nothing like that. I'm the one that's pushing my family. When did, when did that happen? At what point in the semester? I think it happened, um, it's in October. I really felt stuck, like I had no option. Like, all, the only thing I have in life is this degree. Like, this degree is saving me. Without this degree, I'm nothing. Why should I be nothing because I don't have a degree? Like, a little piece of paper and some grades don't define me. And that's where I got to the point where I was just like, I'm not about to deal with this. And I thought to myself, I said, I need to go back to the shelter. It's interesting to me that it was that when you felt, when you hit that wall, it wasn't, maybe I should go out on a Friday night instead of staying in and studying, or maybe I should go out on Saturday, or maybe I don't have to do all the reading on this Monday night, mm. but it was, maybe I'm going to drop out. Like, it went yeah. it went that far. It did. Um, but it did. Like, I just feel like that's my life. I feel like People see me as, that's the homeless valedictorian. She goes to Georgetown. My life is Georgetown. It's And then it's like, um, if you're not in school, then what are you doing? It really made me feel that way, where I was just like, I don't even want to do this anymore. A few months after we first talked, Rashima dropped out of Georgetown. She'd reconnected with a high school boyfriend who had joined the military, and they quickly decided to get married. Rashima moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, to live on the Army base where her husband was stationed. She took some classes there through a local college and sold baked goods to make money on the side. I looked at the pictures of her cakes that she posted online, and we set up a time to talk in early 2017, when Rashima had been away from Georgetown for about a year. When I called, she was on her cell phone, driving around town. How do you like being married? I like being married, like certain parts of it, it's, it's, it's okay. Um, I guess it's kind of hard to answer that question because we're getting a divorce. Oh, you are? Yeah. Um, but as far as, like, marriage in general, I mean, I like it. Why'd you decide to separate? Why'd you decide to split up? Um, I think that we just want different things in life. And... Um, I think this is for the best, just so that each party is happy. Um, yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I knew that you'd gotten married, but I didn't know you all were splitting up. I know that's hard. 
Oh, I mean, we're fine. No, we're we're fine. We're fine. Like it's it's not as you know, it's not really that emotional. So, is he um yeah. is he in agreement that the divorce is the right thing to do? Um, no, he doesn't. He he's asking me, you know, like we literally thirty minutes ago just turned in the papers, like at the courthouse, like, and he asked like just me, before we t- just before I called like, you, right? Just before you, like yeah, just before you called me and. He asked me, you sure you want to do this? He he wants to work it out. He's like, what did I do wrong? And I'm like, you really, like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like, you're you, and one day you'll find the person who you should be with. But I just want more. It's not more about money. It's not anything like that. I just, I deserve more. I worked so hard all my life, and I, and I settled. And it was not the right deal to settle on. It's hard because he feels like, he wants to be a provider. Like, he's like, no, I'll take care of us. You can be a housewife. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be a housewife. I've never been a housewife. I'm not going to be a housewife. Rashima told me she was packing up her things and getting ready to move back to Washington, D.C. I've been in contact with um, Georgetown, so I don't know if I'm going to go back there or not. Um, Tell me about that. What do you, what, how do you feel about Georgetown and the prospect of going back? I feel like, you know, like when we talked and I was talking about how I feel about when people call me like the homeless valedictorian or just a lot of expectations that people put over my head. Yeah. I think with leaving Georgetown, I felt like I was leaving that life behind. But then it occurred to me, like, you know, why run away from, like, what I want to do, what I'm destined to do, just because people are showing me that they're on my side. I think I, all my life, like, my mom wasn't the kind of parent that's like, oh, you got straight A's, good job, keep it up, make sure, you know, it was always me on my own telling me I need to do this or this is the best thing for me. So when I had all those people in my corner, I didn't know how to receive that. Um, huh, but, that's but interesting, now, Rashima. I didn't, you, all that you didn't know how to receive having all these people in your corner. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, because I'm not used to that much support. I have so many people who I can call now whether it's, like, advice or whether it's school. And I've, I've never had that growing up. And I think I think I was just upset because I felt like if I would have failed, it just became a lot of pressure. Like, if I would have failed, then, like, the whole world would have known. So right now I feel like it doesn't bother me anymore. Um, I know that when people, like, most people, even when they're just super excited to, like, share my story, I know it's all about, they're, like, um, proud. You know, it's just, like, the whole, like, Britney Spears having a meltdown, you know, because she's, like, a public figure. It's just stuff happens, you know. Like, some people just can't handle all that pressure at once. And I feel like that's what I had, like, a little a little meltdown. A little Britney Spears moment. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, or like a Kanye moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Rashima back in 2017. Coming up, I talk with Rashima now about how she got to graduation and about the person who gave her a place to land after her divorce. I don't know if there's anything I could do to ever repay her or show her, like, thank you so much, except for going forth and succeeding and doing what I said that I was going to do. Every week in the Death, Sex, and Money newsletter, we include emails from all of you, 
And last week's note from a woman named Kay sparked a lot of conversation in our inbox. Kay is a single mom in her late 40s, and she reached out because her daughter is heading off to college next fall. And Kay is pumped. The prevailing attitude that I think people have is that they want mothers, and especially mothers, to fall apart and curl up in a fetal position at the thought that their child is growing up and leaving the nest when they cross that graduation stage. And I just don't feel that way. I've always felt that my child is a part of my world, but not my entire world. And I just don't think people are ready to hear that. Dee Dee in Texas read Kay's note in our newsletter. She says she can relate. She's a single mom who will be an empty nester after this upcoming school year. And she says she's happy to watch her kids move on with their lives. She wrote, I too have given so much to my kids and I'm looking forward to the flexibility and freedom that will come when my nest is empty. We also heard from Maya, a single mom in California, who is having the opposite experience. For the past few months, I've had all the, the feelings you'd imagine um, of sadness. and But all that is also mixed with knowing what the late teens and early 20s were like for me. During those years, I really felt like I had no safety net. And I know that she has a different mom than I had, and so her experiences will be different. But I'm still sad. You kind of can't help it. Get in on this conversation. Sign up for our weekly newsletter if you're not getting it already. It's a really special place, you guys. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. On the next episode... It's gotten to the point where I can't function without it. Your stories about drinking. And it's, it's scary. Like, I'm scared, and I don't feel like I can talk to anyone about it. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. 
We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. After Rashima Melson got back to Washington, D.C. two years ago, she felt a little lost. For a while, she was managing a KFC to make some money, but she didn't really have anywhere to stay. After my divorce, I was facing a little bit of homelessness, and it, it was nothing new to me. It was just like, okay, so where do we go from here? Rashima reached out to her network of mentors, and she got connected with the chief medical examiner of Fulton County, Georgia, Dr. Jan Gorniak, who lives in Atlanta. And she said, hey, um, I have an extra bedroom, and until you know, can get yourself together, you can, you can stay here. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah, you know, it's a new experience and fresh air. I think it would be great for you. And I got in my little car, uh-huh. and I drove down there. And being down there, I really had time to think. I really had time to myself. She was always in and out, flying out the city, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing big, you know, chief medical examiner things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I really had time to really think and ask myself, like, you're divorced now. You're headed back to school. What is your new plan? What do you want to execute? What do you want to put in motion? I don't like waking up and not having a mission. Huh. What a gift that she gave you of just time not needing to worry about where you were going to stay. And that allowed you to have a take a breath. I always tell her, just like um, as an African-American woman, I always tell her, like, I look up to you and that you're phenomenal. And I don't think that, I don't think people understand how they touch me. I think people just see themselves like, oh, you know, yeah, this seems like the right thing to do. Or no, I want to do this, but... No matter however they see it, the way it reaches me is just like, thank you so much. You don't even understand how much you've helped me and how much you've changed my life, how much stress that you've taken off my shoulders. The fact that you helped me to alleviate the struggle a little bit and that you put me in a position to be able to think a little clearer before I go back out there into the storm. Whether you think it was small or whether however you perceive it, Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Mm. And so, yeah, just her giving me that time to really recoup and uh, rejuvenate myself, it, it, was, it was amazing. It was much needed. After a few months in Atlanta, Rashima went back to Georgetown to start her junior year. She got her financial aid and her work-study job back, and things were different when she returned to campus. She was different. I stepped out of my comfort zone and maybe went to a couple of parties um, maybe like three, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Uh, yeah, I can't do this anymore." <laughs> this isn't it your just, scene. <laughs> it just wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, academically, everything was better in the sense that I didn't have imposter syndrome. I didn't doubt myself. I was just way more active. I joined the rugby team. You did? Um, I did, and it was amazing. And I was just so happy that I got to go back to sports because I was, you know, doing sports in high school. Yeah. Um, I, everything just seemed better. It was just better than the first two years. Yeah. So what are you up to? What are you doing right now? Uh, I cannot wait to tell you what I'm doing. Oh. So, <laughs> so right now, I actually work for a nonprofit um, called Bright Beginnings, Inc. Uh-huh. So basically what we do is we use a two-generational approach to help um, the homeless population in the sense that we want to assist 
the parent as well as the child. So mm. with the child, we bring them in and we have them do free daycare and we use curriculum to educate them and get them kindergarten ready. Mm-hmm. And then for the parent, if they don't have their GED, we have workforce development that works with them to get their GED. If they need a job, housing, um, any assistance that they may need. I, I'd never heard of it put um, the two-generation approach. Yeah. Because, like, if a parent is dropping off a kid for, for daycare, like, offering other services that that parent might need uh, is huge. Yeah, people have always focused on the one-way approach. Oh, let's just give a lot of stuff to the child. Oh, let's just give a house to the parent. And I think the thing that I love about us is that, not like, we're not just working on stability and a housing sense. It's about even if we did give you a house. How a lot of people don't know how to manage a household. What does that come with? And so we're really educating people in that sense. And um, when you when you're like trying to find families that you know parents who could use help with daycare and parents who could use some support with GED, like where are you going mm-hmm. to find people? I just I go out into the community and I really talk to my people. You know what I mean? It's more of a conversation instead of a pitch mm-hmm. because. I relate to them more than the other people at my job do. Who, who's better to go into the community and talk with them than me? You know what I mean? So, yeah. I like I said, I love my job. It's amazing. Now that you're out of school and you're you're working and thinking about what's next, how much are you thinking about money? I'm always thinking about money, to be honest with you. I go to work and I, I try to eat out once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, cause most of my coworkers eat out every day when they're at work or at least three to five times a week. And so basically I'm trying to cut down on costs because I, I have a long way to go before I'll be at a place where I don't have to check my bank account every day. Mm-hmm. Did you have a graduation party? No, I literally went back to my friend's dorm room. And I went to sleep for seven hours. That was me <laughs> celebrating because I was so tired. I was like, I really just want to sleep. I don't care about none of this other stuff. I have a diploma. Let's get out of here. I want to go to sleep. So I just feel like I don't, I'm not able to accept any congratulations just due to the fact that I'm not where I want to be. And I say that not even at a success standpoint, but at a mentally standpoint. And I feel like until I'm, fully where I want to be, then I won't be able to receive that. I hear you, Mershima. I also think there's value in celebrating incremental victories. You know? People people (laughs) tell me that. Yeah, that's true. I just, I don't know how to do it, and I understand the concept of it. We're working on it. That's what I'll say. It's a work in progress. That's Rashima Melson. She's taking the LSATs this fall, and she hopes to head to law school in the fall of 2020. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Emily Nadal. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Thanks to the Buffalo Bill Center of the West and Cody Wyoming for sharing their studio with me. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Death, Sex, Money, and you can follow me on Twitter at Anna Sale. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. 
And as if having a full-time job and applying for law school isn't enough, Rashima told me she also plans to run for the D.C. State Board of Education. I hope my people, you know, receive me and see that I can implement um, a positive change. I don't know much about D.C. politics. Do those get dirty? Is it going to be a <laughs> seem to be a tough fight? Um, you know, I'm hoping to win. <laughs> so <laughs> we shall see. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 